Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry once again. Today we are going to examine the prophetic parallels between the deliverance of Israel to the deliverance of God's people at the end of time. There are many parallels and symbols to the Christian experience that we must have if we are going to be saved. They are rich and worth studying. But today we're going to look at the type and any type of Bible prophecy in the experience of Israel compared to the end times. So let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are in need of your Holy Spirit to come to us as we study your word. Please help us see and understand the depths of love that you have for your people and the great deliverance that is coming to to end this world of sin and deliver your people from it and take your saints home. So please enlighten us today and be our teacher, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus four, twenty-two and 23. When Moses first came to Pharaoh and demanded the release of Israel, a warning of the final plague was given. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. But God did not execute this judgment first. He is great in mercy and long-suffering and wanted to give Pharaoh an opportunity to repent. If the economic destruction of Egypt by the previous nine plagues would turn them to repentance, then God would not execute this judgment. Now Pharaoh was warned one last time. Exodus 11, 4-7 Thus saith the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even to the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was None like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue, against man or beast, that ye may know that how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. The Israelites were given special directions to prepare for the deliverance and to protect themselves from the destroying angel. They were to show their faith in God by obedience. They were to slay a lamb without blemish. 
the great symbol of Jesus and the deliverance from the bondage of sin. With hyssop, a symbol of purification, they were to paint the blood on the doorposts of their homes. Then they were to eat the lamb, roast it whole, and leave nothing left for later. They were to also eat it with their clothing on, ready to go. They were not to think about tomorrow. The God who led them out of bondage would feed them. Exodus eleven thirteen, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Listen to this from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 279. <clears throat> the Israelites in obeyed the directions that God had given. Swiftly and secretly they made their preparations for departure. Their families were gathered. The paschal lamb was slain. The flesh roasted with fire. The unleavened bread and bitter herbs prepared. The father and priest of the household sprinkled the blood upon the doorpost and joined his family within the dwelling. In haste and silence, the paschal lamb was eaten. In all, the people prayed and watched. The heart of the eldest born, from the strong man down to the little child, throbbing with an indefinable dread. Fathers and mothers clasped in their arms their loved firstborn as they thought of the fearful stroke that was to fall that night. But no dwelling of Israel was visited by the death-dealing angel. The sign of blood, the sign of a Savior's protection, was on their doors, and the destroyer entered not. This experience was a great prophetic illustration about the people of God at the end of time, showing their faith in God and His promised deliverance. The mark of distinction between the people of God and the world is a Sabbath. The remnant have purified themselves and overcome the enemy at every turn by the power of God. During the great time of trouble, they will flee from their enemies. They will be greatly troubled and distressed, but God will provide them food to eat. And though the wicked despise them and are bent on their destruction, they are protected by God. They are also protected from the seven last plagues. These bring them into special notice of the wicked. Listen to this from Great Controversy, page 629. The people of God will not be free from suffering, but while persecuted and distressed, while they endure privation and suffer for want of food, they will not be left to perish. That God who cared for Elijah will not pass by one of his self-sacrificing children. He who numbers the hairs of their head will care for them in the time of famine they shall be satisfied. While the wicked are dying from hunger and pestilence, the angels will shield the righteous and supply their wants. To him that walketh righteously is the promise. 
Bread shall be given him, his waters shall be sure. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. That's Isaiah 33, 15, 16, and Isaiah 41, 17. Many of the Egyptians had been led to a knowledge of the God of the Hebrews as the only true God. And they sought refuge from the Israelites and pledged themselves to worship the God of heaven. They were gladly welcomed into the homes of the Israelites. During the latter reign, many of the world will seek to join God's remnant people and pursue an understanding and knowledge of God from them and will join them. Listen to this from Great Controversy, page 612. The message will be carried not so much by argument as by the deep conviction of the Spirit of God. The arguments have been presented, the seed has been sown, and now it will spring up and bear fruit. The publications distributed by the missionary workers have exerted their influence, Yet many whose minds were impressed have been prevented from fully comprehending the truth or from yielding obedience. Now the rays of light penetrate everywhere. The truth is seen in its clearness. And the honest children of God sever the bands which have held them. Family connections, church relations are powerless to stay them now. Truth is more precious than all besides. Notwithstanding, the agencies combined against the truth, a large number take their stand upon the Lord's side. The wrath of God will be poured out upon wicked Babylon because of her idolatry and because she tried to compel everyone to worship the beast and his image, and doubly so for her persecution of the righteous who keep the Sabbath and are loyal to God. Revelation 18.6-8 puts it this way, Reward her even as she rewarded you, double unto her double, according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled, filled her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith, in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death, and mourning, and famine. And she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. In Egypt the plagues were poured out just before the deliverance of Israel. So it will be at the end of time. The plagues will fall upon the world just before the deliverance of God's people. From Great Controversy, page 627 and 28, we read the following. The plagues upon Egypt when God was about to deliver Israel were similar in character to those more terrible and extensive judgments which are to fall upon the world just before the final deliverance. Of God's people. The plagues of Egypt were of a short duration, probably all of them within a year. 
but they were increasingly devastating, wiping out the economy of Egypt. The final plagues will be equally devastating, but on the whole world, not just one country. They also will be of short duration. Revelation 18 tells us this, Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall utterly be burned with fire. For strong is the Lord who judges her. And Matthew twenty four twenty two tells us, Except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. The plagues on Rome will affect her especially because of her apostasy and idolatry. But they will also be much more widespread because Rome has caused the nations of the whole world to worship the beast and his image. No doubt they will strike some of the most important locations to the control of Rome over the religious world. But it will bring economic devastation, especially on the big cities and rip societies apart. Listen to this from Adventist Home, page 136. The time is near when large cities will be swept away, and all should be warned of these coming judgments. And this from Great Controversy, page 628 and 629. These plagues are not universal, or the inhabitants of the earth would be wholly cut off. Yet they will be the most awful scourges that have ever been known to mortals. All the judgments upon men prior to the close of probation have been mingled with mercy. The pleading blood of Christ has shielded the sinner from receiving the full measure of his guilt. But in the final judgment, wrath is poured out, unmixed with mercy. The large cities will be swept away. This means that probably multiple millions of people will die, and the proud works of man in the large cities will be destroyed. The plagues of Egypt were mixed with mercy, but the plagues at the end of time will be even more devastating on a wider scale. God is going to show his power and his authority by these plagues against the wicked, because they persistently break his law and defy him. The plagues of Egypt convinced many of the Egyptians that Pharaoh, who was worshipped as a representative of their god, was opposing himself to the one who made all powers of nature the ministers of his will. See Patriarchs and Prophets 271 and 272. And they also proved to Pharaoh that the Egyptian gods were false and that Jehovah was the only true God. The seven last plagues will convince the wicked that the God of the remnant is the only true God and that his law is sacred and must be kept. Ezekiel gives us a picture of what God intends to do to show that he is the only true God. Ezekiel thirty-eight sixteen and eighteen to twenty-three, and thirty-nine. One through eight, and thou shalt come up against my people of Israel, as a cloud to cover the land, 
it shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me, when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. God's people will be faced with an overwhelming force. Continuing on. And it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth, all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence, and the mountains shall be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood. And I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him and overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So God is going to cause great plagues to fall upon the wicked that will shake them terribly and draw attention to the people of God and their worship. God will magnify himself and show his true worship it will be seen that Sunday worship is creature worship. He will strike the enemies of God's people and smite them, leaving only a sixth part of them. I'll read on. Therefore, thou son of man, prophesy against Gog, and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back, and leave thee but the sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand, and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Friends, this is talking about Rome. Rome uses the wicked to come against the small remnant of God's people with a great array of devices and resources, including oppressive laws, pervasive surveillance, military hardware, confusing psyops, torture, forced labor, etc., and overwhelming force that persecutes them. But God amazingly intervenes and magnifies his name. The purpose of the seven last plagues, like those of Egypt, is to expose the sin of creature worship and prove to all that God is the Creator and He's the only true God. The plagues cause every knee to bow and every tongue to confess the true God, whom the persecuted saints have worshipped, even unto death. 
they will confess their guilt, as Pharaoh did to Moses and Aaron in Exodus 9.27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron, and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. He also confessed his wicked course in Exodus 10, verse 16 and 17. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Even the magicians acknowledge that this is the finger of God. Exodus 8.19 The seven last plagues will humble the wicked and cause them to confess their guilt and acknowledge that God is with the despised remnant. Isaiah 60.14-15 and 15 says the following, The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee. And all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through thee, I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations." Philippians 2, 10 and 11 also tell us this, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and of things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Great controversy gives us more detail. On page 655, it says, Men whom the world has worshipped for their talents and eloquence now see these things in their true light. They realize what they have forfeited by transgression, and they fall at the feet of those whose fidelity they have despised and derided and confess that God has loved them. Early Writings gives us more detail, too, on page 124. I saw that the priests who were leading on their flock to death are soon to be arrested in their dreadful career. The plagues of God are coming, but it will not be sufficient for these false shepherds to be tormented with one or two of these plagues. God's hand at that time will be stretched out still, in wrath and justice will not be brought to himself again until his purposes are fully accomplished. The hireling priests are led to worship at the feet of the saints and to acknowledge that God has loved them because they held fast the truth and kept God's commandments. And until all the unrighteous ones are destroyed from the earth. Ancient Israel escaped the seven last of the ten plagues. God's true people at the end of time, who are faithful to him, will keep all the commandments 
and will also escape the seven last plagues as they fall upon modern Babylon and her allies in the whole world. In Psalm 91.10, God makes a promise that he intends to keep. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. The term seven last plagues explicitly implies that there are other plagues before these seven. While we don't know how many there will be, they are of a more universal character. God's people may be subject to them too. For instance, the COVID-19 virus was a worldwide plague. The war in Ukraine may also be classed with these plagues. Some of God's faithful people, no doubt, have been affected by them. But the seven last plagues will only fall on the wicked. The blood sprinkled on the doorpost of the Israelites in Egypt was the seal or mark of allegiance and obedience to God. For the last generation, the seal is a Sabbath and is a sign of their loyalty and obedience to the Creator or the true God. It is also a sign of redemption and sanctification. The keeping of the Sabbath is an outward sign of a character that has been cleansed from all sin by the blood of Christ. While it is not a physical mark, it is nevertheless the seal or mark that secures the faithful from the weapons of the slaughtering angels that represent the wrath of God and secures their safety. In Ezekiel 9, 4-6, the Bible gives us some detail about the sequence. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, and through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city, and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men, which were before the house. This is a terrible time for God's church. I do not want these plagues to fall on me, so I must redeem the time and plead with God to bring my life into harmony with heaven. You don't want this either. To some it may seem so extreme that they can't believe it. But I believe it because the Bible says so. The Bible is prophetically accurate and pinpoint. While we often don't want to think about the evil that is coming upon the world, we must because we must also prepare. So be sure your life is under the blood. Be sure that the blood is on your doorpost and that Jesus reigns in your heart so you can truly keep his Sabbath. The marking angel in Ezekiel's vision is followed by the angels of death who will pass over those who have the protecting mark. 
but they will not pass over those who don't. In fact, they will destroy many of the wicked. Just going to church on Sabbath is not enough. You have to keep it as inspiration tells you to in order to receive the mark of God and avoid the death penalty that God will inflict upon the wicked. Listen to Revelation 7, 1-3. After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God in our in their foreheads. Ezekiel 20, 12 and 20 confirms the seal or mark of God. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them, that they may, might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. And hallow my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. The deliverance of ancient Israel from Egypt was at midnight. In Exodus 11.4, Moses tells us that, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth on his throne, even to the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. The necessary preparation was to have the blood sprinkled on the doorpost and to have everything packed and ready to move. They were to be dressed with their sandals on their feet and their staves in their hands. The angel of death to the Egyptians was the angel of deliverance to the Israelites. When he passed through the land at midnight, there arose a wail of distress from the Egyptians and a shout of deliverance from the people of God and the march to freedom began. There are two phases to the deliverance of Israel. Israel's deliverance from Egypt was not complete until they passed through the Red Sea and out of the dominion of Egypt. At the Red Sea they were delivered from the sentence of death, which was the final act in the drama of their Egyptian pilgrimage. Pharaoh's decree was that they be brought back into bondage or destroyed. Let's read Exodus 15, verse 9. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Israel was in a trap with no apparent possibility of escape. The outlook from their viewpoint seemed hopeless. They must either return to Egypt to a crueler bondage or face the sentence of death. It was a test of faith and trust in God. 
and the deliverance was sudden and unexpected. Some have estimated that the time it took for the Israelites to pass through the Red Sea and for the Egyptians to follow them with a large army of soldiers and 600 chariots who were in the midst of the passage during the morning watch, that the Red Sea opened about midnight. So the second phase of Israel's deliverance was apparently at midnight. God's precious people who have been faithful through thick and thin also go through a two-phase deliverance from the power and wrath of modern Babylon and of Satan. The first deliverance is from the sentence of death. Angels of God protect them. Listen to this from Early Writings, page 282. I saw the saints leaving the cities and villages and associating together in companies and living in the most solitary places. Angels provided them food and water while the wicked were suffering from hunger and thirst. Then I saw the leading men of the earth consulting together and Satan and his angels busy around them. I saw a writing, copies of which were scattered in different parts of the land, giving orders that unless the saints should yield their peculiar faith, give up the Sabbath, and observe the first day of the week, the people were at liberty after a certain time to put them to death. But in this hour of trial, the saints were calm and composed, trusting in God and leaning upon his promise that a way of escape would be made for them. In some places, before the time for the decree to be executed, the wicked rushed upon the saints to slay them, but angels in the form of men of war fought for them. Satan wished to have the privilege of destroying the saints of the Most High. But Jesus bade his angels watch over them. God would be honored by making a covenant with those who had kept his law in the sight of the heathen around about them. And Jesus would be honored by translating, without their seeing death, the faithful waiting ones who had so long expected him. God will magnify his law and his holy name through noticeably protecting his saints in the sight of all their enemies. It will become so obvious that he is protecting them that there can be no doubt who his faithful people are. The second phase of the deliverance will be from the terribly corrupted and destroyed world itself at the coming of Christ. The advanced global systems, especially in developed countries, will fall into dysfunction. Roads and streets will become unusable. Communications will become very difficult as modern technology collapses. Medical attention will be limited because deadly pestilences will rage. Supply chains will be disrupted again and again. All the infrastructure upon which a society is built will be greatly challenged by the plagues. The things humanity has relied on will no longer serve their needs. The wicked will 
really struggle from day to day getting food, pure water, and basic necessities. When people who have been used to being self-indulgent are hungry and even starving, they will become violent, as in old Jerusalem during its siege and destruction. The righteous will be stressed too, but in a different way. Though God's people will be stressed, they will have food and water. When the wicked are dying all around them, they will have their needs met. The Bible promise in Isaiah 33, verse 16, gives us assurance that the righteous during this time of trouble will be fed. He shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Bread shall be given him, and his waters shall be sure. The death penalty will be imposed upon the righteous for their loyalty to God. Their loyalty will be seen as treason to human governments. There will be misinformation and disinformation spread about them. Like Israel of old, the last generation will be apparently trapped and will see no way of escape from the death penalty. It will seem to them that they either have to compromise their faith and their loyalty to God and return to Babylon, as it were, or be killed. Notice this statement from Early Writings, page 283. It was an hour of fearful, terrible agony to the saints. Day and night they cried unto God for deliverance. To outward appearance there is no possibility of their escape. Think about this from Great Controversy, page 635. When the protection of human laws shall be withdrawn from those who honor the law of God, there will be in different lands a simultaneous movement for their destruction. As the time appointed in the decree draws near, the people will conspire to root out the hated sect. It will be determined to strike in one night a decisive blow, which shall utterly silence the voice of dissent and reproof. The Israelites were protected by a company of mighty angels that stood guard between them and the Egyptians all through the night of their trial and deliverance. The last generation of faithful souls, while under the sentence of death, will be protected by powerful angelic messengers. Listen to this amazing passage from Isaiah 4, 4 to 6. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof, by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, and the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion, and upon her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense, and there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat, and for a place of refuge, and for a covert from the storm and from rain. God is going to protect his people from the storm of trouble that will come upon the world and upon them. 
He will create, as it were, a cloud and smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night, just as ancient Israel experienced. God's people may not be able to see this, but it will hold the wicked in check from their destructive and wicked purposes. God will supernaturally attend his precious people just as he did for ancient Israel. This makes great controversy, page 630 and 31, come alive. Could men see with heavenly vision, they would behold companies of angels that excel in strength stationed about those who have kept the word of Christ's patience. With sympathizing tenderness, angels have witnessed their distress and have heard their prayers. They are awaiting the word of their commander to snatch them from their peril. But they must wait yet a little longer. The people of God must drink the, of the cup and be baptized with the baptism. The very delay so painful to them is the best answer to their petitions. As they endeavor to wait trustingly for the Lord to work, they are led to exercise faith, hope, and patience, which have been too little exercised during their religious experience. Yet for the elect's sake, the time of trouble will be shortened. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Luke eighteen seven and 8. The end will come more quickly than men expect. The wheat will be gathered and bound in sheaves for the garner of God. The tares will be bound as faggots for the fires of destruction. All laws go into effect at midnight. The death penalty will also be imposed at midnight. Therefore, the deliverance of God's people from the wrath and power of modern Babylon and Satan will take place at midnight. Great Controversy, page 636, reads as follows. It is at midnight that God manifests his power for the deliverance of his people and deliverance of God's faithful people will be just as dramatic and supernatural as was the deliverance of ancient Israel from Egypt. Listen to it. The sun appears, shining in its strength, the signs and wonders follow in quick succession. The wicked look with terror and amazement upon the scene, while the righteous behold with solemn joy the tokens of their deliverance. Everything in nature seems to be turned out of its course. The streams cease to flow. Dark, heavy clouds come up and clash against each other. In the midst of the angry heavens is one clear space of indescribable glory, whence comes the voice of God like the sound of many waters, saying, It is done, Revelation 16.17. That voice shakes the heavens and the earth. There is a mighty earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. The firmament appears, to open and shut. The glory from the throne of God seems flashing through. The mountains shake like a reed in the wind, and ragged rocks are scattered upon every side. There is a roar as of a 
coming tempest. The sea is lashed into a fury. There is heard the shriek of an hurricane, like the voice of demons upon the mission of destruction. The whole earth heaves and swells like the waves of the sea. Its surface is breaking up. Its very foundations seem to be giving way. Mountain chains are sinking. Inhabited islands disappear. The seaports that have become like Sodom for wickedness are swallowed up by the angry waters. The proudest cities of the earth are laid low. The lordly palaces upon which the world's great men have lavished their wealth in order to glorify themselves are crumbling to ruin before their eyes. Prison walls are rent asunder, and God's people, who have been held in bondage for their faith, are set free. The death sentence upon God's people will be reversed. The wicked will never be permitted to exercise their sentence of death, but instead God will execute his sentence of death on the wicked. Revelation 18.8 is speaking of Babylon and her dominion. Therefore her place shall come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. Like the ancient Israelites, who watched the destruction of the enemies in the Red Sea, the last generation of earth, God's faithful saints will be able to witness the vengeance of God upon their persecutors and see them rewarded with the very sentence of death that they had expected to execute upon the righteous. I would like to review what happened at the Red Sea after the Israelites passed through it. Let's read from Exodus fourteen twenty-three and 24. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud, and troubled the host of the Egyptians. What does the scripture mean by troubled the host of the Egyptians? The Egyptians followed them, and as they did, suddenly there was a change. It is found in the scriptures, but there is a summary in Patriarchs and Prophets that is very descriptive. Let us read it from page 287. The mysterious cloud changed to a pillar of fire before their astonished eyes. The thunders pealed and the lightnings flashed. The clouds poured out water and the skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightning lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. That's Psalm seventy-seven, seventeen, and 18. The Egyptians were seized with confusion and dismay. 
Amid the wrath of the elements in which they heard the voice of an angry god, they endeavored to retrace their steps and flee to the shore they had quitted. But Moses stretched out his rod, and the piled-up waters, hissing, roaring, and eager for their prey, rushed together and swallowed the Egyptians in their black depths. No doubt the surprised looks on their faces revealed their terror. Likewise, at the end of time, there will be an unbelievable storm, which is way beyond what people have seen in modern times. It will surprise billions of people. It will be a great rainstorm with hailstones, thunder, lightning, and a great earthquake. Let's read that passage from Great Controversy, page 637 and 638 again. There is a mighty earthquake. The mountains shake like a reed in the wind, and ragged rocks are scattered on every side. There is a roar as of a coming tempest. The sea is lashed into fury. There is heard the shriek of a hurricane, like the voice of demons upon a mission of destruction. Though earth heaves and swells like the waves of the sea, its surface is breaking up. Its very foundations seem to be giving way. Mountain chains are sinking. Inhabited islands disappear. The seaports that have become like Sodom for wickedness are swallowed up by the angry waters. Babylon the Great is come in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Great hailstones, every one about the weight of a talent, are doing their work of destruction. The proudest cities of the earth are laid low. Fierce lightnings leap from the heavens, enveloping the earth in a sheet of flame. Above the terrific roar of thunder, voices, mysterious and awful, declare the doom of the wicked. Let us put it together with Jeremiah four twenty-four to 27 I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. I beheld, and lo, there was no man and all the birds of the heavens were fled. I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. For thus hath the Lord said, The whole land shall be desolate, yet I will not make a full end. Triumphant Israel on the shores of the Red Sea celebrated their deliverance in song. God's people, after the deliverance of the last generation, will sing the same song because they have passed through the same experience. It's called the Song of Moses and the Lamb. Essentially, the same terms are used to describe Israel's deliverance and the deliverance of the last generation. Miriam, the prophetess, led the song for ancient Israel. Could it be that the prophetess of the Advent movement will lead the song of the redeemed?
The song of triumph is the song of the Lamb. Jesus, the Lamb of God, won his victory in the Garden of Gethsemane about midnight. His midnight victory made possible our midnight deliverance. It is impossible that Israel knew the depth of experience they would go through in their deliverance of Egypt before their deliverance. Like the people of God in the last generation, we will find it impossible to understand the depth of the trial we will experience during the time of trouble at the end of time. Listen to this from Great Controversy. Page 622. The time of trouble such as never was is soon up to open upon us, and we shall need an experience which we do not now possess and which too many are too indolent to obtain. It is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality, but this is not true of the crisis before us. The most vivid presentation cannot reach the magnitude of the ordeal. In that time of trial, every soul must stand for himself before God. Friends, I hope you long to be on the Lord's side in this great controversy. And as it comes to an end, we must have an experience that far exceeds our past or even present experience. I hope you are faithful to the end. Let us pray. Our dear Father in heaven, the deliverance of your people will be so amazing that it's hard to imagine what it will be like. We have descriptions available to us, but it seems that they pale into insignificance when we really see these things. Your power is great, but your love is also great. Please help us to be loyal to Christ. Please make us pure and holy. And let us experience true victory in Christ over the enemy. And we will sing the song of Moses and the Lamb in the new earth. In Jesus' name, amen.
We hope you have been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is called His Eye is on the Sparrow, sung by Jennifer Buttery. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Seekers of Your Heart. If you would like a copy of the CD, just send $16 postpaid and we will gladly send you one. International listeners should send $20 USD. Be sure and mention the Seekers of Your Heart CD. The following is our Prophetic Intelligence Briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis and the coming of the Lord. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month. Russian President Vladimir Putin says Russia will station tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus. Russian President Vladimir Putin announced plans on Saturday to station tactical nuclear weapons in neighboring Belarus, a warning to the West as it steps up military support for Ukraine. Putin said he was responding to Britain's decision this past week to provide Ukraine with armor-piercing rounds containing depleted uranium. Russia falsely claimed these rounds have nuclear components. He said Russia would maintain control over the tactical nuclear weapons stationed in Belarus. Construction of storage facilities for them would be completed by July 1, Putin said. Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko has long asked for the weapons, Putin said, speaking in an interview broadcast Saturday evening on Russian state television. Putin insisted that Russia would not be violating its international obligations on the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons, saying the United States has long deployed its nuclear weapons on the territory of its NATO allies. 
Belarus shares borders with three NATO members, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland. Russia has used the territory of Belarus as a staging ground to send troops into Ukraine since the invasion began on February 24, 2022, and Moscow and Minsk have maintained close military ties. Putin noted that Russia helped modernize Belarusian military aircraft last year to make them capable of carrying nuclear warheads. He said 10 such planes were ready to go. He said nuclear weapons also could be launched by the Iskander short-range missiles that Russia provided to Belarus last year. Tactical nuclear weapons are intended for use on the battlefield, unlike more powerful, longer-range strategic nuclear weapons. Quote, The coming of the Lord is nearer than we first believed. The great controversy is nearing its end. Every report of calamity by sea or land is a testimony to the fact that the end of all things is at hand. Wars and rumors of wars declare it. Is there a Christian whose pulse does not beat with quickened action as he anticipates the great events opening before us? Evangelism, page 219. Next, Utah School District considers Bible ban under new sensitive materials law. A school district in Utah may ban the Holy Bible after a parent complained that it contained inappropriate and pornographic material, forced it to face committee review. On December 11, the David School District received a petition from a parent to have the Bible removed from schools for being what the parent considered a sex-ridden book. The petition of the parent requesting review of the Bible was made available on Tuesday with the parent's name and address withheld. Quote, Utah Parents United left off one of the most sex-ridden books around, the Bible. You'll no doubt find that the Bible has no serious values for minors because it's pornographic by our new definition, the petition read. This complaint followed the passing of Utah's Sensitive Materials in Schools Law enacted in May, which prohibits certain sensitive instructional materials if they contain explicit sexual arousal, stimulation, masturbation, intercourse, sodomy, or fondling. Within the first five months of the law being in place, parents filed over 250 complaints petitioning for certain books to be removed from schools. According to the parents' petition, the Bible falls under this description and deserves to be removed. Quote, Incest, onanism, bestiality, prostitution, genital mutilation, fellatio, dildos, rape, and even infanticide, the parent wrote. You'll no doubt find that the Bible under Utah Code 7610-1227 has no serious values for minors because it's pornographic by our new definition. According to district spokesperson Chris Williams, the challenge was taken up for committee review as any other book despite its religious nature. Quote, It is a process. Anyone who requests a book to be reviewed has to have standing, Williams explained. We don't jump to conclusions. We go through the entire process. We don't blow off one request because we think it's silly. This has been very time-consuming. We have 15 committees that have been established for this purpose. The process can take an average of 60 days, though Williams has said 
that committees are currently facing a backlog of requests from other parents. So far, 81 books have been reviewed by the district's committee. The committee removed 33 books while retaining about 30 after review. According to the district's website, the parent was required to present 49 pages of the Bible's text that could be used as evidence for inappropriate content. The Davis School District Committee is made up of about seven people, including a district administrator, a licensed teacher who is teaching English language arts, a librarian, and at least four parents who will vote on whether the Bible will remain in schools. Currently, the school also maintains a policy that, quote, religious tracts, books, or literature may not be singled out for special regulation or prohibition based on content, but is subject to reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions imposed by the schools on other non-school related literature. There has been ongoing debate about whether this policy would affect a potential removal of the Bible from schools. Quote, get this porn out of our schools, the parent wrote, along with an eight-page listing of offensive Bible passages. If the books that have been banned so far are any indication for way lesser offenses, this should be a slam dunk. Quote, it was in 1793 that the decree which prohibited the Bible passed the French Assembly. Three years and a half later, a resolution rescinding the decree and granting toleration to the scriptures was adopted by the same body. The world stood aghast at the enormity of guilt which had resulted from a rejection of the sacred oracles, and men recognized the necessity of faith in God and His Word as the foundation of virtue and morality. Great Controversy, page 287. Next, Church of England teaches four-year-olds cross-dressing and same-sex attraction. 403 years ago, my pilgrim ancestors fled England and set sail on a dangerous journey across the Atlantic to America. You see, they were persecuted by the British crown, which required them to practice their Christian faith in the state church, the Church of England. Today, with government approval, the Church of England is imposing an extreme unbiblical agenda on the youngest members of British society. According to Christian Concern, a Church of England primary school in Essex, England, introduced four-year-olds to gender identity on World Book Day. The featured book was My Shadow is Pink. Here's an excerpt that was read during Annie's story time. Quote, My dad has a shadow that's blue as can be, and there's nothing but blue in my whole family tree. But mine is quite different it's not what you think. The mine is not blue. My shadow is pink. My shadow loves ponies and books and pink toys, princesses, fairies, and things. Not for boys. But there's one thing it likes most. I have found it loves wearing dresses and dancing around. Parents told Christian Concern their children were directed to engage with the story and explore its themes. The children were asked to dress up to reflect how they see their shadows and how they see themselves. At least 25% of 11-year-olds in England struggle with reading, but instead they can tell you if their shadow is pink or blue. This is the emasculation of males and LGBT grooming of primary school children 
and the Church of England is advancing it. The Church of England wants to be culturally relevant, but guess what? That isn't working. No wonder the church is expected to fade into extinction within the next 40 years. Meanwhile, the Church of England chaplain fired from his job for preaching a biblical view of gender identity and same-sex relationships is back in the news. Reverend Bernard Randall, formerly of Trent College, says he's appealing his case after an employment tribunal ruled against him. We featured his story two years ago when the college first suspended him and labeled him a terrorist. Chaplain Randall describes the ruling against him as a blow to free speech and Christian freedoms. Trent College and the Church of England failed to realize that their societal reshaping efforts oppressed the faith that made their institutions and country great. They're replacing one religion with another, an extreme secular humanism where people can ignore science and Judeo-Christian values to become their own God. And anyone who stands for biblical truths must be destroyed. But let's not be discouraged. Remember that victory belongs to the Lord. Keep speaking up, praying and standing for God's truth. Quote, In mercy to the world, God blotted out its wicked inhabitants in Noah's time. In mercy, he destroyed the corrupt dwellers in Sodom. Through the deceptive power of Satan, the workers of iniquity obtain sympathy and admiration and are thus constantly leading others to rebellion. It was so in Cain's and in Noah's day, and in the time of Abraham and Lot. It is so in our time. It is in mercy to the universe that God will finally destroy the rejectors of His grace. Great Controversy, page 543. Next, NYPD wants businesses to require customers remove masks. The New York Police Department is advising businesses to ask patrons to take off their mask before entry in light of the high number of thefts and robberies across the city. Removing masks should be a condition of entry, NYPD Chief of Department Jeffrey Madry said at a press conference last week, noting that criminals have been taking advantage of masks to avoid detection on surveillance cameras. Quote, People are coming up to our businesses, sometimes with masks, hoods, and latex gloves, and they're being buzzed in. They're being allowed to enter into the store and then we have a robbery or some kind of property being stolen, Madri said. We are asking the businesses to make this a condition of entry. That people, when they come in, they show their face, they should identify themselves, he continued. And if they feel like they want to put their mask on after they identify themselves for their safety, by all means, they should do so. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, most businesses in the city would block customers from entering the premises with masks on, according to the police chief. But taking in mask customers is now a way of life. Quote, Since the pandemic, this is a way of life for us, where people wear masks regularly, he said. But we're seeing this being used too much as a ruse to enter into businesses and to victimize our businesses. We need our businesses to be proactive and to do their due diligence. We need to make sure people are identifying themselves, Madri said. A shoplifting epidemic. The advice comes as New York City Mayor Eric Adams admitted 
that a shoplifting epidemic is forcing chain stores to close down and costing retail workers their jobs. Quote, People who say that we're criminalizing the poor, they're wrong, Adams said at a February 12 budget hearing in Albany as he made the case for billions in additional state funding for his city. Poor and low-income New Yorkers are being unemployed because we're losing those businesses in our city. We're losing chain stores that are closing down. People who are being employed in those stores are losing their jobs, the mayor told the state legislature. They're adding to our unemployment. The surge in shoplifting has prompted some business owners to take action on their own. The 34th Street Partnership, a trade group representing small businesses in the Midtown Manhattan neighborhood around Penn Station and Madison Square Garden, has recently hired canine units to sniff out shoplifters. According to an analysis of NYPD data by the New York Post, there were 63,699 reports of shoplifting along with retail-related larcenies and robberies in 2022, and 43,675 incidents in 2021. Quote, The condition of things in the world shows us that troublous times are right upon us. The daily papers are full of indications of a terrible conflict in the near future. Bold robberies are of frequent occurrence. Strikes are common. Thefts and murders are committed on every hand. Men possessed of demons are taking the lives of men, women, and little children. Men have become infatuated with vice, and every species of evil prevails. Testimonies to the Church, Volume 9, Page 11 Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.